Welcome to Photo Taco, the only show with photography tips you can learn in the time it takes to eat a taco. Or perhaps a burrito. Photo Taco! Hey everybody, welcome into another episode of Photo Taco. Thanks for spending a few minutes with me. I am your host, Jeff Harmon, and I want to remind you about our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash photo taco. It's an excellent place to go and participate in a lot of discussion that happens all week besides this time that we have on the podcast. And it's a good way to get me questions, get me uh, topics for the show that you'd like to be able to hear hear about in future episodes. So go join that. Go ask to be a member. We'll let you in once we validate you're not a robot. And uh, and it's really, really good stuff in there. Also, to give us a review for the podcast, I've been saying this for uh, several episodes now. And the question came up in the Facebook group. They didn't know how to give, give me a review. So unfortunately, the best place, the place that's going to be most helpful to the show to give me a review is in iTunes. I'm sorry, everybody, but that's just, it's the way it is. It's its a iTunes world and we just live in it. <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. I, I know a lot of people really dislike the program. I don't really care for it myself a whole lot. Unfortunately, though, that's really the best place that I can get a review of the show and have it, have it mean much to the show. So the way you do it is you have to open up iTunes. It's really the only way to, to make it be there is to go open up iTunes you go find the show, the podcast, in the iTunes store. Then you click on the Ratings and Reviews tab near the kind of the top. It's a little bit down from the top. And then you click Write a Review button. And then you can put in the review and give us a star rating and all that. So I'm sorry, but that's <laughs> that's how you do it. You have to go through iTunes. You can go find the podcast on SoundCloud if you want to try to do that. But really, uh, what people care about is the iTunes reviews, and that's how we attract more listeners is through the iTunes reviews. Or tell a friend. There you go. That would be a really great way to, to support the show too. Tell a friend or two or ten <laughs> about this podcast and spread the word. All right, enough of that. Let's get on to the actual topic this week. And this time it comes from a, a, actually a personal friend of mine who uh, has recently gone into photography for the first time. He, uh, he wanted to take some better pictures of his kids, especially as they were getting older and involved in lots of activities. He wanted to be able to get better shots of them. So he got a camera a couple years back. He hasn't really had the time to get into it much. But he asked me a question a little bit ago that I think is a good question a lot of photographers will have. And even if you feel like you know everything about this topic, I think it's worth you know, listening to hear what I have to say about it, see if you, you learn anything. And it has to do with white balance. It's a very controversial topic. If you haven't listened to the Improved Photography podcast and, and heard the uh, myriad of discussions that Nick Page and Jim Harmer have had about this, then you should go do that. And they definitely have two different schools of thought, and I'm going to tell you mine as well. But white balance was his question. And, and what he said was that as a new photographer, he had it recommended to him by a friend who does freelance work for a local university sports team to set his white balance by pointing to something neutral white. And he wondered, what does that even mean to point my camera at neutral white and set white balance? These are words I don't understand. <laughs> and, then, and then he also asked, and is it right? Is that advice really right? Do I need to do that before I take my pictures? And uh, so let's, let's attack this in a couple of different uh, subject matters here. First, let's talk about white balance settings in your camera. 
And what that has to do with colors and temperature, and you might even hear the words Kelvins a lot. We're going to go through all of that in, in a little bit of detail very quickly here. So what, what's going on is the, the lighting conditions that you shoot in are varying, and it's not just exposure. It's not just how bright or dark it is, which has to, which will change how much you're doing with your exposure settings of shutter speed, aperture, and ISO. It also has to do with kind of the color cast of the light, and it's really hard to understand because our brains kick butt at this. They do so good at making it so that we don't really see the color cast that's happening, but our cameras are not nearly as smart. And without giving them some help, they don't get it right a lot. And you've seen this when you've taken photos, uh, maybe with point-and-shoot cameras before you got into photography, or even after you got into photography and you kind of had it on auto-white balance, you probably noticed indoor shots, they look really yellow, really, really yellow, and not normal on the colors. And your skin looks weird, almost alien sometimes. It's so such a yellow cast to the photo. Or if you take it in shade, if you take a photo in shade or, or just after the sun has set and it's really not there anymore, you, then it may look very blue and have a color cast of blue and also look unnatural, look really blue. And it, it's interesting because this is another area I think photographers just, they say things that they don't explain and it takes too long before people understand what they're saying. I'm sure you've heard photographers say, Oh, that one looks a little warm to me. That shot looks a little warm to me. Or I want to warm up that shot. That means it's it either looks too yellow, it looks too warm to me, or I want to warm it up. There's not enough yellow in the photo. I, I really want to make it a bit more yellow for whatever artistic thing you might be looking for. Then you might want to bring warmth into the picture by adding some yellow. And on the, on the reverse side, there's cool. Oh, that shot looks a little too cool to me, or I want to cool down the shot a little bit. It, it looks too warm. So I'm going to add more blue to the, to the tint and the white balance. It's terms that a lot of photographers use without trying to explain it at all. And it just has to do with kind of this, this color temperature is what we call it, but it's the tint of the lighting that you're shooting in. And it depends on the circumstances. So the, there's a scale, a color temperature scale that, um, that, there, that exists out there, and it's measured in something called Kelvins. And it's a scale that works like this. It starts on the low end at 1,000 to 2,000 Kelvins of a candle flame, kind of a normal candle flame. And obviously you can get some candle flames with different types of candles that have different colors. So it might not always be there, but in general, a, a normal kind of candle flame, 1,000 to 2,000 Kelvins, and it kind of puts off an orange color cast. It will make your shot look a lot more orange than you're used to. Uh, and our brains just really accommodate for that, and our brains adjust very well to it, whereas what our cameras do not, and they, they won't figure it out, and the shots will look a little bit orangey. Then there's household light that's about 2,500 to 3,500 Kelvins, and it looks yellow. Like we talked about, there's, especially if there's the old style tungsten bulbs. Now, if you have LED lighting, then, then this would be a little different uh, because those are generally white balanced differently. But tungsten bulbs were very, very yellow. And so if you took a photo indoors, it not only was really hard to get enough light so that you could get a decent exposure without having a lot of noise, 
It also would have this awful color cast to it where stuff didn't look right. And you probably didn't really, you may not have known how that is, but that's, that's kind of where it's at. And <clears throat> we're going to talk about what you can do about it. But then as you can move up the Kelvin scale, 3000 to 4000, that's at sunrise and at sunset, which of course, that's also another time when you have this yellow cast. And those would be times you may want it because our brains associate with that as being those times when we've seen the beautiful surroundings at sunrise and sunset or who you're with and remembering some times in your life when you've seen that, it may be something you're artistically going for. And even if it wasn't there, uh, you could add some yellow to try to bring that feeling to the photo and express that artistically. Okay, then there's sunlight and flash. And those are generally about 5,000 to 6,000. And that's what we think of as white light, daylight balanced. I'm sure you've heard that before, daylight balanced in bulbs. Uh, you can have daylight balanced setting in your camera, which we're going to talk about in just a second. And that's 5,000 to 6,000 Kelvin. All right, then there's noonday sun. So when the sun is at its very peak and it's a perfectly clear sky, that actually kind of tints it just slightly blue. It takes it over the top of the white and the daylight balance kind of thing, and it makes it just tiny bit blue at 6,000 to 6,500 Kelvin. Then there's cloud sky, uh, a, a cloudy, cloudy sky, or if you went to the shade, and I'm sure, sure you've observed this too as you've shot, if you're doing portraits at least, and you took some shots out in the sunlight in that bright sunlight day, and then you move into the shade, those shade shots, besides having a much different exposure need, will also look a lot more blue and have a blue cast to it. And then if the sky is just really, really overcast, and you can see this very, very well, if you, if you try to shoot lightning or uh, shoot storms, you'll notice this really, really big. There's really heavy blue tint to the, to those shots. So that's the Kelvin scale, and it's associated with the type of light, not necessarily the temperature of the thing making the light, which can be confusing since it's color temperature in Kelvins, but that's kind of what it is. But So what can you do about it? How can you change the settings in your camera? We want to get as much right in camera as possible so we have as little to do in post-processing. Um, and so what can you do? The first thing you can try to do is tell your camera, give your camera a hint about what's going on. So in Canon, I have a whole bunch of different white balance modes I can put the camera into. There's auto white balance, there's daylight, there's shade, there's cloudy, there's tungsten, there's white fluorescent, there's flash, and then there's custom and color temp. Those are the modes I have on my Canon 70 Mark II. And so you can put it in one of those modes. If you know that your lighting is meeting, meeting one of these conditions, you can put it there. If, if it's daylight, maybe even fully noon, harsh lighting, put it in daylight mode. And your camera has a hint. It knows, okay, that's the Kelvin scale I should expect. And it knows what to do so that it can mark in the file what the Kelvin, what the white balance mode was set on the camera and Lightroom will read that and it will set the sliders accordingly. And, and you have a good chance that when you load it into Lightroom, it's gonna be able to see that and, and it's gonna show you the image white balance. It's gonna look normal even if though there might have been a slight color cast. Uh, same with shade, it, it'll counteract kind of the blue color cast that happens in the shade and it will make it look right when you load it up in Lightroom. 
Does it, is it going to be full, foolproof? No way. No, no way at all. It varies how much shade were you in? What time of the day was it? Is it close to like noon and, and that sun is right overhead and it's the, it's beating right down on you? Or was it maybe closer to the evening time and you just wanted to make sure that the light was even across everyone's face? That's why you got in the shade. And that's going to be a little bit more blue than it would have been if you were out there. Or was it uh, cloudy? And it's not going to guess. It's not going to be perfect, but it probably can help you get a lot closer. All right. So custom then. Let's talk about that setting. If you use that for your white balance setting, custom. And that's Brian. That's what your friend, the freelancer who does university sports photography. That's what he was getting at. Was doing custom white balance and. There could be an argument. I might buy it a little bit uh, as you're shooting sports to do this. But the process would be you take a photo of something in the subject area of where you're going to shoot. So let, let's assume it's a basketball game. And let's assume that you're, you're going to be taking pictures of the game. And that lighting really is not going to change the whole time. But if you take it uh, without having any white balance adjustments good chance you're going to have this yellow color cast on the pictures because it's indoors. And that's, that's how lighting really looks indoors uh, frequently is very, very yellow. So you could end up with a yellow color cast. And, and what you could do then to counteract that is find something on the court or nearby the court, but it needs to be in the area that you're going to be shooting. It won't help if it's off in the stand somewhere as much because the lighting off in the stands is going to be lower and different than the lighting that's going to be covering the court. You need to really have the same lighting conditions that you're going to be shooting in needs to have the white or the gray, the 18% gray that you're going to take the photo of. But you get, if there's something white on the court, hopefully maybe at like center court, you have the logo of the team and there's maybe white in it. That would be great. Or a, at least a neutral color, a, a neutral gray kind of color. Then you take the picture, you could probably, you, you need to probably zoom in as much as you can in on that logo and you take a picture with that color right in the middle and as much of it as you can get in the middle. And then you go in through the menu system and you say you want to set your white balance to custom. It will go start looking back in the photos you've taken and then you select the photo that has the white in it in the center and it will then set your white balance according to how that looked from the photo. And now from that point forward, it's going to be this custom white balance setting based on what was in that photo. And, and that can work pretty well. I have to say I did this a ton when I first started taking portraits. I was really struggling getting the portraits, the color temperature to be consistent. I mostly shoot outside, don't have a studio, so natural lighting is, is where I'm at on most things with some flash added now. But when I first got started, I didn't even have flash. It was just natural lighting. I did use a diffuser sometimes to take off shadows so that at least the person didn't have some big nasty shadow across their face from a tree branch or a leaf or something. Uh, so I, I would use that, but that was it. It was all natural lighting. And I was really struggling from place to place to place to get the pictures to kind of more consistently have the same white balance and look the same on the colors. And so I, I you know, studied about it. I, I went to find help and I found lots of suggestions that talked about doing this custom white balance setting. So I bought the little pop-up disc. They're, they're pretty cheap. There's lots of different kinds. 
But I bought this little pop-up disc that is this round circular disc thing. And when it pops open, there's half of it white, half of it gray, half of it 18% gray. That's the technical thing that everyone always talks about is 18% gray. It doesn't mean a darn thing to most people, but that's what it said. <laughs> and, and then the idea was you have your subject, your photo, your uh, portrait subject, take, hold that disc, hold it, you know, as close to them as they could put it in their lap, put it near their face, something like that. And then you do exactly the same process. You take a photo, you set that disc, the white or the gray part of that disc in the middle. And then you say that you want to do custom white setting, quite custom white balance using that information. And it works great. It, it did a very good job of making it so that I had more consistent white balance between different locations, even if the same place. So the, let's say we went to a reservoir and we were just walking around and finding different places, different backgrounds to take pictures in front of. Um, then the lighting changed just enough that the color balance was tough and, and this really made it better. On the other hand, it took a lot longer. <laughs> and I, I'd have to say, first off, go hand them the disc, say, hold this for a second, and I take a photo, and then I mess around in the menus until I get the white balance set, and then I grab the disc from them again, and then we're finally ready to take pictures. Oh, and there's also the exposure settings, and, you know, there's so many things to worry about. Doing Worrying about the white balance thing, in my opinion, is not something I want to, I care about as I'm shooting because it's so easy to do after the fact in post-processing. So, but that's, that's what this guy was talking about, Brian. That's what he was saying, what to, to do this. I personally don't do it anymore. In fact, personally, I use a lot of auto white balance. And this is where we get into the two camps between Nick Page and Jim Harmer. Jim and I both use auto white balance all the time. I never change from auto white balance, not for landscapes, not for portraits, not for any of the photography that I do, do I get out of auto white balance mode. Because I can go set in the Lightroom just fine. No problem. It's it's pretty easy. Now, it did take some time for me to train my eye, not physically, but to, to know what to look for in Lightroom. It may You have to make sure you have a good calibrated display that you're running Lightroom on. But once you do that, it's, it's really not that hard to get to the point where you like the white balance that you have on, on a photo. And the argument that we've heard about not doing white balance and why someone would maybe go set the Kelvins themselves, and that's what the color temp mode would be on the Canon camera. You could go set the Kelvin scale then to one of these things that you know it's going to be. The argument is that's going to make it more consistent as you are applying changes in Photoshop, or sorry, in Lightroom. Once you get your basic edits done on one photo for white balance, for exposure, for the, the kind of general settings, then you can sync that across all of them. And you know that's going to be good across all of them because the white balance was set the same across all of them. Okay, it's a fair point. I personally just haven't found that that's all that hard. And I, I end up kind of doing a custom white balance thing anyway on the photo shot, on the shots that uh, that people pick, my clients pick for me to work on because I want to have a certain feel to it. And, and really they don't care if it's completely consistent from photo to photo to photo on the white balance. They want the feel to be appropriate and fit the photo. And it may be okay to have one a little bit more yellow and one a little bit more blue because the mood of the photo or the pose or the situation 
allowed for that. So I can see the argument on both sides. I personally always do auto white balance, but I can understand the argument from Nick and, and Erica about setting the Kelvin scale themselves. And in wedding photography, when you have more controlled environment indoors, I could see why that saves time. I, I get that. Your camera isn't deciding every time you shoot what the white balance should be. He said it at the beginning, and it's consistent throughout the whole wedding shoot session, which is generally going to be inside the same lighting over and over and over. You don't want to give your, your camera the chance to change its mind in a few of the shots along the way. I get that. I just don't do that shooting, so so I keep it in auto white balance all the time. All right, so that's the basics of white balance and doing it in camera. Um, the other option to do it out of camera, besides manually moving the sliders, you could still find a photo that had a mid-tone in it, had a white or a light gray in the photo, and then you can use the eyedropper that's right next to the sliders, and you just take that eyedropper and you go click on the white or the gray. And just like your camera did when you took your photo and tried to say, hey, use that as the custom white balance settings, Lightroom's going to do exactly the same thing. It's going to analyze the picture. And based on the spot you picked that was white or light gray, it's going to change the sliders so that they're quote unquote perfect settings for white balance. I personally find that when I do that, and even in camera, when I set the white balance custom, on, a, on pointing to white or gray, that it turns a little bit too blue to me, also a little bit too green. So I usually end up moving the sliders a little bit, tiny bit. I mean, just to one or two or three points, maybe a little bit more depending on the photo, over to yellow and magenta in the white balance settings. That's just my personal style. I like that better. I like the tone it conveys. I like the colors overall better from my Canon camera in doing that. But you may find that you like what it says is perfect white balance settings by doing the either the eyedropper or the in-camera custom white balance. All right, that's it for this episode. I hope you liked the information. Be sure to visit improvephotography.com. It's the mothership for the podcast. It's what uh, makes the podcast possible in many ways. So head over there frequently not only to support the podcast, but because we got we have plenty of updates on news, gear, and other photo tip articles always happening over there. Some great stuff. If you're not going there at least twice a week to check out the articles that are at improvephotography.com, you're missing out on some really good content. So make sure you head over there because it is the best way to improve your photography. The views expressed on this program by independent host guests and callers do not necessarily reflect their views of improved photography LLC or its advertisers. Some links mentioned on this program are affiliate links where a commission is earned. Olay!